This is a sermon on slaying the giants, and we're going to use David and Goliath as our text, our story this morning. It's going to be 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. So if you have your Bibles, you want to go there, 1 Samuel 17. We think about, well, David and Goliath. Some adults think, well, that's just a children's story. That's a children's Bible story. Well, I like to think of it as more than that, because when we say that's a children's Bible story, sometimes maybe we look overlook some very important truths, biblical principles that's in this story. And uh, so I'd rather say maybe it's an adult story that a child can understand. Does that sound just a little bit better? Let's go to 1 Samuel 17, and the text, what we're going to start out with is verses 45 through 49. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands." So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurled or hurried and ran toward the enemy, the army, to meet the Philistines. Then David put his hand in his bag, and he took out a stone and he slung it, and struck the Philistine in the forehead. And so the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. Well, let me start out by giving you just a little background. On this, and I think it makes it just a little more interesting. Well, in 1 Samuel 17 here, it begins the Israelites, they've been drawn into battle with the Philistines. And this is a small country located on Israel's southwestern border, kind of like Mexico is located on the southwestern border of the United States. Well, because of their close proximity to the promised land, the Philistines were Israel's greatest arch nemesis. It seemed like every time the Israelites turned around, the Philistines were trying to take the land that God had given them. And this battle basically is still going on today. Now instead of Philistra, it's called the Gaza Strip. And instead of the Philistines, they're now called the Palestinians. So this battle is still kind of going on here. Verses 1 and 2 gives us the precise location of where this battle is going to take place. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Succa, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between um, Azekah and Ephes Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. Now, maybe that don't mean a lot to us, these places, because we don't live there. We're not familiar with that territory. But if you were to look at your map in the back of the Bible there, the Philistines, what happened is, they moved within 25 miles of Jerusalem, um, which was the worship and cultural center 
of Israel. And the Philistines, they set up camp near the two towns of Sukkah and Azekah and in the southern mountain region of the promised land there. And this land, it belonged to the tribe of Judah. Now, these two small towns, they were just a couple of miles apart. They were real close together. And in between these two towns was the Valley of Elah. And the valley, and that was the valley that the Israelite army had set up camp. Now, history tells us, several different versions of history tells us, that in ancient times, it was common um, in battles like this for the two opposing armies to choose the bravest and strongest warrior in their armies and have those two fight to death. And when the contest ended, whichever side lost would become the servants of the victor. So instead of the whole armies fighting, they would send their biggest, bravest, strongest warrior out together and they would engage in battle. Well, this is obviously what's going on here in 1 Samuel 17. The um, Philistines, now they already know who they're going to send into this life and death contest. They already know there. His name is Goliath. And uh, there's three things to note here from the text about Goliath when you think about this man here. Of course, the first thing to note was Goliath's awesome size. The guy was huge. Um, verse 4 there says, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now that word champion there in the Hebrew language literally meant the man of two middles. Now, when I first read that, I said, well, i got something in common with Goliath. i got two middles. But it's not a man with two middles. It's a man of two middles. So I had to go back and read that the second time. Well, in other words, he was the man who would meet with the warrior from the opposing army in the middle of the battlefield and fight to death. And Goliath was the Philistines' champion. He was the man of the hour. Verse 4 also tells us that Goliath stood six cubits and a span tall. I don't know if you've done the math on this or not, but that's nine foot six inches. And if he were to stand under a regulation basketball goal, his head would be just six inches below the goal. Um, for those basketball fans out there, Shaquille O'Neal is seven foot tall. Goliath is two and a half feet taller than him. This is a big guy. He's a horse here. The second thing to note about Goliath is his amazing armor. Um, in verses five through seven here. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of scale. And the weight of the goat, the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a uh, shield bearer went before him. Now, it's only natural that a man of Goliath's stature would require armor and weaponry different than what was issued to the other fighting men there. I mean, this guy, he's a horse. Verse 5 tells us that uh, Goliath's armor 
weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. Folks, that's 175 pounds. You know, in other words, his armor weighed as much, if not more, than the average soldier that the Philistines had. There's a lot of armor. And verse 7 tells us that Goliath carried a spear that was long. It was like a weaver's beam. Well, a weaver's beam, it weighed about 17 pounds. And uh, the spearhead on the end of that weaver's beam weighed 600 shekels. That's about 15 pounds. So altogether here, Goliath's spear weighed about 32 pounds. This guy's a hoss. He had some big armor. I mean, he had some stuff. It's like, wow, that's the kind of thing that you'd see maybe in a museum and you couldn't lift it, you know. So here we have Goliath's awesome size. We have Goliath's amazing armor. And the third thing um, to note is, is Goliath's atrocious arrogance. His arrogance. In 1 Samuel 17, verses 8, 9, and 10. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Well, as I said before, the Philistines, they already know who they're going to send out this battle. They've already picked their, their champion to be in this life and death contest. You know, they, and they selected Goliath. He was the man of the hour. But for the Israelites, I want you to know, the choice isn't that easy. They were having a problem with this. Verse 11 says, When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, Goliath, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, you can almost hear the Israelite soldiers amongst themselves arguing with themselves. I'm not going out there. You go out there. No, I'm not going out there. You go out there. If I go out there, he'll tell me, limb from limb, you go out there. Kind of reminds me um, of a football game. It, it, it happened when I was a teenager. It wasn't our team, mind you, but it was like kind of all over the papers. Two football teams, they were playing football together, and one team was far, far, far better than the other. I mean, they were just crucifying this little small team. Matter of fact, it was really a practice game between an A school and a 4A school. That's all they could get to practice together, and they did. And this 4A school team, they were just, they had some horses on their team. And um, the score was, it was just some stupid number. They just quit keeping score because they practiced. Well, these guys were killing this small team, and uh, this small team, one of the runners, he was running, he fumbled the ball, and it rolled over to one of his teammates, and he said, pick it up. And the guy looked at him and said, you fumbled it, you pick it up. <laughs> he didn't want no part of what was going on there. Well, for 40 days and nights, here we have Goliath. He made his appearance before the Israelite army. He was taunting and, and tormenting them to pick someone brave enough to come out and fight with him. You can just imagine all the smack that was laid down, all the junk that was spewing out of his mouth. Well, spiritually and physically and emotionally, the Israelite army had already been defeated. 
I mean, they saw this giant out there and they were just defeated. And day after day, they had to listen as Goliath mocked their God, you know, and they can't or they won't do anything about it. And it was just draining them mentally, emotionally, and physically because of what was going on here. Well, in the meantime, as you can imagine, Jesse's father, uh, or, Jesse, or David's father, Jesse, um, he's back at home and he's worrying himself sick, you know, about his three sons who are amongst those Israelite troops camped in the Valley of Elah. He's worried to death. Like, were they in danger? Were they all right? Did they have enough food to eat? You know, all the things that a parent would worry about for their child, Jesse was worried there and it was just driving him nuts. So he decides to send David, his youngest son, um, to the battlefield just to check on his older brothers and bring a report back to him as how they were doing. Because as a parent would be, they were just, they, he was just torn up. Like, what's going on? I want to know about my sons. Well, when David arrived at the battlefield, he saw a pathetic sight. Imagine, if you will, thousands of Israelite soldiers um, just sitting on the ground with their heads hanging, hung low. Just imagine that. David saw a defeated army that haven't, hadn't even set foot on the battlefield yet. And when he looked and he saw King Saul, David could see the dark circles under his eyes from where he had lost sleep for 40 straight nights worrying about this giant and worrying about the morale of his own, own men. But then David saw another sight, a sight even more disgusting than the pathetic Israelite army. He saw Goliath strutting back and forth, arrogantly issuing his daily challenge to the Israelite army, taunting them with insults and blaspheming the God of Israel. And this went on and on and on and on today. You know, I hate to say it, but can you get a picture in your mind of some of that going on today? Some of the stuff going on? You know, blaspheming the God of Israel and taunting Christians with insults? Is that stuff going on? Absolutely. Well, at this point, young David steps forward and he volunteers to fight Goliath. You guys all know the story. And let me make something really clear here because this is really important. David, he didn't step forward to volunteer to fight Goliath because he trusted in his own ability with a slingshot. But he stepped forward to fight Goliath because he trusted in the almighty ability of the almighty God. That's why he stepped up. And folks, this is important for us to remember. We say this is a kid's story, but there's a lot of truth here. There's something that can ring our bell if we'll listen to it. So King David, he was very reluctant to take David up on his offer. And verse 33 says, And Saul said to David, um, You are not able to go against the Philistines to, to fight with him, for you're just a youth. And he is a man of war from his youth. So King Saul is telling David, you know, you're just, a, you're just a lad. David, this giant has lots of battle experience. Man, he does this for a living and you have no experience. That's what he's telling him. But David tells Saul, verse 34, 
that he has lots of experience fighting lions and bears and, you know, that attacked his father's sheep. So this uncircumcised Philistine shouldn't be so tough after all. You know, don't you admire that kind of faith? When you stop and think about that, when you see this whole army of fighting men sitting on the ground, cowered down because of one man out there, and then you see little David coming up there, and he says, I'll do this. Me and God can do this. You know, I just, I just love that. I love to see David's faith. Well, Saul was still reluctant to send David out to fight Goliath. Well, Saul thought this. He said, well, if I can't convince this young boy um, to take no for an answer, at least I can dress him in my armor so he'll have protection on the battlefield. Well, guess what? That turned out to be a terrible idea. Saul was a very tall man himself. Bible commentaries tell us that Saul was between 6'6 and 6'8. That's a pretty good-sized man himself. And David was probably between 5 foot and 5 foot 2. That's what the, the um, commentaries tell us. In other words, Saul's armor, his enormous armor, was so bulky that it actually put David at a worse advantage. You see, it took away the one physical attribute that David had going in his favor, and that was his speed. With all that armor on, he couldn't hardly move. Well, after the failed attempts to get David to back down, Saul reluctantly agrees to allow David to go up to this big giant. And when Goliath saw David approaching him on the battlefield, look at what verse 42 and following says. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Well, you can see this. Goliath was insulted. Here I am, you know, nationally known. I am the giant. I am the man of the hour. Nobody can beat me. And you send this little kid to do your business. He was insulted. He thought it was really a joke. But David let Goliath know real quick that it was no joke. Look at David's response in verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give your carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this is then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. I really like what Chuck Swindoll says. He says, Goliath to me is like a cross-eyed discus thrower. He says he doesn't set any records, but he sure keeps the crowd awake. You know, here's Goliath. He's been out there blundering every day for 40 days and nights, 
belching out his blasphemy and, and never putting his money where his mouth is, and now his time has come. Picture this scene, if you will. David is standing confidently before Goliath, like Babe Ruth may be standing at home plate, pointing his bat to the, to the bleachers as if to say, I'm getting ready to knock this guy right out of the park. You know, he was confident because of his faith in God. He could be confident, you see. And with a slingshot in his hand, David begins whirling it over his head faster and faster. And with Goliath, Goliath moving towards him, David starts running towards Goliath. And with one mighty hurl, David releases the stone from the slingshot and it hits Goliath right between the headlights. And the stone sinks into his forehead. And he never even knew what hit him. And Goliath, he fell face first to the ground. Look at the last part of the story, verse 50 and 51. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, Goliath's sword, and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Okay. We rehearse this, what some people say is a child's Bible story, but I want you to know this is an adult Bible story that a child can understand. It's something that we need to listen to here. We rehearse this so that we could share one application. How many times do you ever hear me preach just a one-point sermon? Here's the point. Here's the application. Every one of us have our giants to slay in this life. Every one of us. I don't care who you are. And some of our giants, they haven't got a name or a face. And you can see that I've listed some there. And you know, for an application to be meaningful, for it to work, you've got to be truthful with yourself. Otherwise, the application don't work. So I'm going to ask that if we talk about each of these, you look at them and you kind of stare at them and you say, is this something that's in my life here? You know, so some of these giants, they don't have a name or a face that's in our life. The giant of fear. That can be a big giant if you let it. The giant of depression or the giant of discouragement or the giant of guilt. How many people wrestle with that giant or the giant of resentment? The giant of jealousy. Maybe the giant of anger. Maybe we pop off. We get angry really quick. Or maybe the giant of loneliness. Maybe we've lost a spouse or we've lost a son or a daughter. Or maybe we're still married, but we're lonely. What about that kind of loneliness? Or the giant of doubt. Or the giant of addiction. Or the giant of a secret sin that only you and only God knows. Nobody else knows it, but because you know that God knows, it's just eating you alive. That's a giant in your life. There may be other giants in your life. Well, let me tell you something. Just like Goliath, these giants, they taunt us, they torment us day after day after day, and they make your life miserable. 
which is really a good thing because it gives you a chance to do something about it. You know, maybe that's the Holy Spirit goading you, the Holy Spirit reminding you that this giant is a wedge between you and God. Well, they wear us down and they steal our joy. And then there are those times when our giant has both a name and a face. We have to look at those. Perhaps your giant is that overbearing relative with whom you can't even stand to be in the same room with. Or maybe that giant is, is an obnoxious person that you have to work around every day. Or maybe that giant is an over-demanding boss. Or maybe that giant is a negative person who always throws cold water on your ideas and you just about had enough. Or maybe that giant is a hypercritical in-law who criticizes everything you do. Perhaps that giant is that one individual whose sole mission is life, so it seems, is to make your life as difficult and as miserable as possible. Maybe that's the giant. Folks, listen, regardless of whether your giant has a name or a face on it or it doesn't, you and I can choose to do one of two things when it comes to facing the giants in our lives. And folks, here's the one point. We can do one of two things in facing these giants, and every one of us have them. We have giants in our lives. We can do one of two things in facing these giants. One, we can do just exactly what the Israelite army did. You know, we can allow our giant to torment us and taunt us every day. And we can walk around with our heads low, and we can accept defeat. And we can be miserable for the rest of our lives. Or we can do what David did. We can rise up by faith in God and we can run to meet our giant head on. Confident that the battle belongs to the Lord. Folks, you say this is a kid's story. I say it's an adult story. Folks, that is the answer. We have giants in our lives. Let's meet it head on with faith in God that we're going to overcome this. Folks, it doesn't matter how big your giant is. What God cares about is how big your faith is. Do you have enough faith to tackle the giant? You see, folks, here's a, just a beautiful part, the ending of the story. When you and I, when we face our giants in life by the faith of God, Almighty God, God is honored, He's glorified, and He will give us the victory. Folks, that makes me want to say hallelujah. That's something to shout about. Because every one of us has these giants. But we know when we face those giants with our faith in God, we're going to win. We're going to win. And it's, I don't care how big the giant is. How big is God? Yeah, you kind of get that. So, when our faith is strong, We'll see every time that the battle belongs to the Lord and we win. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for those stories that are easy to understand. Father, we're thankful that we see that you shine forth in every one of them. And every time people put you first and put their faith in you, they come out the victory. 
Father, we are grateful for that. Father, we just pray that you would, your Holy Spirit would nudge us and urge us and make us miserable until we put our full trust in you and tackle these giants and tackle these battles. Father, we love you. And we ask that you forgive us where we fall short. Father, help us to take a stand for you each and every day. In Jesus' name.